Now, praise the Lord. This is Brother Julius Adiwumi. I'm going to go through the book of Timothy, the first letter of Apostle Paul to Timothy, and I pray the Lord will give you insight to be able to comprehend what Apostle Paul is teaching us in the book, in the letters of Paul to Timothy. In the first chapter, Apostle Paul gave us that the sum total of the law is charity, which is love. In the second chapter, we talked about exhorting believers to be to pray for the rulers. In the third chapter, we're going to talk about the qualification of bishops and deacons. And in the fourth chapter, Apostle Paul mentioned the prophecy of the end time, lawlessness that we engulf the world. In, chapter, in the fifth chapter, he, he talked about the widows and the elders, how to treat the widows. In the sixth chapter, he summarized it with saying, godliness with contentment is great gain because many are pursuing wealth and that can be a trap and we're going to go through the, these letters and I believe the Lord will give you the insight First Timothy chapter 1 Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of, our, of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ which is our hope unto Timothy my own son in the faith grace mercy and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord now that's how apostle Paul you normally open this letter grace mercy and peace from God our Lord and our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord but still he says as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do so summary, in summary, Apostle Paul simply told us right there why, what he wanted Timothy to be doing while he was at Ephesus. He said he left Timothy as a pastor in Ephesus to keep exhorting the believers and teaching them as much as he knows. And he summarized, more or less gave what he wanted to emphasize upon. He said that as you charge some that they teach no other doctrine, there may be other teachers there among the brethren. The apostle, uh, but Timothy is supposed to be the pastor. He charged some that he teach no other doctrine, but uh, and, not, and not to give it to fables and endless genealogies. In that generation, maybe they were talking about the Jews that come by and try to give genealogies and so on. He said that's not important to to the believers. He said those minister questions, but he said one, he, want, he wanted him to just be godly and define. In which is in faith. He said that is what he wants him to keep on doing. Verse 5 said, Now the end of the commandment is charity, which is love. That is the law, the commandment is the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do this. I said the summary of it all is love. That's what I mean by end of the commandment. Out of a pure heart, love out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience and of faith, unfeigned faith. So that should be the, the summary of the commandment of God. And he said, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. Now he's pointing to some people that he believed they have been just uh, what they call vain jangling. Means they are just uh, saying things that they ought not to. Verse 7. And he's describing these people that he mentioned that they, were, they have turned aside to vain jangling. They have turned away from faith and, and the summary that is love of God, the love for one another. He said, any other thing be, be turned into vain jangling? That's what the Apostle Paul used here. In verse 7, he said, they are desiring to be teachers of the law, 
those are the people that were trying to emphasize the law of Moses among the believers. He said, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Now you say, why, why, is, why was Apostle Paul talking about these people that are trying to, they are designed to be the teachers of the law? That these people are Jews that the remember in we, when we talk about in the second Timothy also there was the same thing he mentioned to, to Timothy. Some people came among the believers and they started trying to preach to the Gentile believers that unless you be circumcised and be like the Jews, you cannot be saved. Trying to bypass Jesus or trying to emphasize Moses. Whereas remember the 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 and the day of transfiguration on the mountain when the bible said peter james and john went with the lord jesus christ to the mountain of transfiguration and then they they woke up and saw jesus christ and moses and elijah talking to him in glory they were the lord jesus christ was in, in shining bright light but peter james and john were able to recognize the two men that were talking to him on that mountain in glory he said when he said you are in glory, it's more like they, were, they come down to the, from the cloud down and he was, they were able to recognize that that was Elijah, that was Moses. And like the Jews, they came and said, oh, Lord, it is good that we are here, let us make three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. They are trying to elevate the laws and the, and the prophets. And the cloud of God moved upon them and said, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. You know what that means? He's saying, forget about Moses and Elijah. This is the, the, the God-man. What he says is the final. You can't compare him to Moses or Elijah at all. And then the Apple disciples, then after that, they said they were, they were so scared, they were afraid. You can go and read the, that in the rendering of the gospel. Now, that was just the way the Jewish were raised. They were elevating Moses and, of course, Elijah. But they were just witnesses for Jesus. But that was what the Bible said. And we give power to my two witnesses. The two witnesses in the book of, uh, in the book of Revelation chapter 11. Those are Moses and Elijah. And that was why they came in that day on the Mount of Transfiguration, talking to the Lord Jesus Christ, because they were being given their assignments. Because they are going to come back according to what people believe. I will send Moses and Elijah back to them, to the Jews, to witness that this Jesus they crucified is the one they have been talking about that you guys really know. Okay, that was what uh, what uh, Apostle Paul was referring to when, when these Jews, after the Lord Jesus Christ has resurrected and gone up to heaven now, many other Jews tried to join the Christian, Christian faith and they are trying to bring Moses and superimpose upon the gospel and say, oh, you still have to be circumcised like us and follow the law of Moses that became confrontation between Paul and those people. When they went to Jerusalem and the apostles are excited that well let's just not put all the Gentiles on this. But that does not silence this, uh, this uh, circumcision group. They try to separate themselves. They kind of separate themselves each time. And that was, you see that it was written all over in the New Testament that when Apostle Paul said, day of the circumcision, those are the group that they still believe that people have to still keep the law of Moses. But occasionally came around to where Apostle Paul and the Gentile churches are. So that's why sometimes we say day of the circumcision. Now, and that is why he was telling, those are the ones he was referring to when he said, they are desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say, nor wherefore they are found, because the law was fulfilled by Christ. 
and he has brought a, a, a perfection which is a new bath. Someone just thou shall not do this, thou shall not do that. A new bath, a recreation of our spirit that will make us to please go and do what God wants. It's what Christ has brought. And when they didn't understand that or didn't have that, they would still be exercising the law of Moses as if unless you do circumcision, unless you follow, go to the temple once a year. And those are all part of the law. People only talk about the Ten Commandments. No, that's not the only thing. The Ten Commandments is fulfilled in us. When you are born again, you are automatically going to love God and then you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. That's why Paul said, if you love your neighbor, you will not steal, you will not kill, you will not bear false witness, you will not commit adultery against him or her. So the law, the commandments summarize in love for one another. That's what Jesus Christ said, my new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, even as I love you. So that summarizes that. But you see, the law of Moses is much more than just the Ten Commandments. It has to do that they have to come to the temple, stand be come before God once a, three times a year, once a year, and so on so, and so forth. Those are all parts of the law. That's why many of them will do a pilgrim to make Jerusalem. Even the, all the Jews and the particular festival. That's the part of their laws, you see. And some Gentile believers in our generation are trying to imitate that still because they are, they are being deceived. See, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. That is, you don't get righteous by going to Jerusalem and, and, and knocking your head on the walls or, or going for once a year like some Christians want to go and pilgrimage. Uh, maybe they are trying to copy the Muslims that are on pilgrimage to Mecca. So some of them that think they have to go to Jerusalem as, as if a pilgrimage. Christ has not put that upon any believer. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. When Moses was writing to, for the Jews, before Christ came, they had to appear before, in, before, before God once a year or something like that, at least once a year. That's part of the law of Moses. But we are not under those. Even the Jews that believe Christ, they are not more under that because Christ is the end of that law for righteousness. God Almighty has come out, has, has left the, what they call the, the Holy of Holies that he, that he said in a veil. That's why when Christ was crucified, when he died on the cross, the veil was cut into two, ripped from the top to the bottom. That means the Almighty God left that uh, temple. And it's now with every individual that we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, it's with you, it's in you. So why do I need to go to Jerusalem looking for him? No, it's right here in my heart. Praise the Lord. And it's in your heart too when you believe Jesus Christ. And he said that's why Jesus Christ was telling that woman at the well, at the, at the well because in the days when Jesus Christ was preaching, the Samaritans have the same conflict. They said, well, you, you say we should come to Jerusalem. But our Father said we should be, we, we worship, our, our Father worship on this mountain. Why do we have to go to Jerusalem? Jesus Christ said, from henceforth, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship God. You don't know what you are worshiping. He said, anyone from henceforth will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That means everywhere, anywhere. And that was all the, the, the revelation God is brought to man to us through the, our Lord Jesus Christ. And Apostle Paul was emphasizing that the Jews that did not believe, like Apostle Paul, they actually persecuted Apostle Paul because of that. And they claimed to have, they said they were afraid, they, they, they are accepting your Jesus, but they still wanted to go to, to Jerusalem and obey all these laws of Moses. And you can see when it comes to Acts of the Apostles, let me point. Point it out in the Acts of the Apostles where they, where they argued and argued with Apostle Paul and he pointed this thing out in the, in his, in his uh, rendering in Acts of chapter 28 
Apostle Paul was talking about this. When, he, when the Jews came to him and he taught them over and over about what the, the, the revelation of the gospel is. And some of them believed, some of them did not believe. So let's go on in 1 Timothy that we are reading. Verse 8, Apostle Paul went on and said, But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and provane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for warmongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the gospel, God's glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Now, what Apostle Paul is saying that the law, the Ten Commandments, is not written for the righteous people, because when you look at this, this, this statement, they say, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Well, if they are righteous and they are already doing all the good things, those laws does not apply to them. You mean they can't? No, it's simply saying it's not written for them. It's written for the bad people that don't do this, which they are already doing. That's why the law is written for the ungodly, for the wicked people. The law is written for them, not for the righteous people. Take, for example, this is an analogy that people have used. If you go to the gas station, you wanted to get gas for your car or petrol in many countries, they call it petrol. Now, when you get to the gas station and you see right there, they put a sign on the gas station and say, no smoking. Well, that is telling, that's a law, no smoking is actually telling those smokers. That thing is written for smokers. So if you are not a smoker, that no smoking does not apply to you. That's what we are really seeing. But they put no smoking there so that if there are smokers, when they see that no smoking, it's saying, put off your cigarette. That's what it's really saying. So that law says no smoking in that gas station. It's only written for the smokers. So that's what Apostle Paul is saying here, that the law was not written for the righteous people. The law was written for the lawless, for the disobedient, for the ungodly, for the sinners, for the unholy, and he listed all those bad things. So that is what the law was written for the UK people. Not for those who are righteous. So when Christ has turned us from, from sinners to saints, so the law is not applicable to us anymore. We are already fulfilling the law by nature, by the new nature we have in Christ Jesus. Verse 11. It says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Verse 12. Now I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, Put him into the ministry. Who was before Apostle Paul now was going to tell his own resume? He said he was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and an injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Now, see, this is a faithful saying. And worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. So Apostle Paul classified himself that the way he was living before he came to Christ, before Christ got told of him, he was a murderer, he was, he was persecutor, he was injurious. Even though he was claiming all the law of Moses as far as he was concerned, but he classified those early believers in Christ as, as uh, evil. And started stoning them and persecuting them and 
raising up a gang against them. That's why he called himself, he was a persecutor, he was a blasphemer, he was an injurious person, enjoying disbelievers. He said, but God showed medicine to him by saving his soul, that's what he meant. The grace of God was abundant towards me, he said. He said he was the, he was the chiefest sinner, because that would be the chiefest sinner. He said, what he said, you may say, I don't commit adultery, I don't do any of those things that Moses, the Ten Commandments say, and that look like, oh, you are okay, but you don't believe Jesus Christ, or you are persecuting the believers. That's a worse sin than those who are committing atrocity. That's what Apostle Paul is saying here, because he claimed to be a, a good Pharisee in his time when he was following the law of Moses. He said he was, he was, he was the Pharisee of the Pharisees, which means he was trying his best to keep all the laws. But because he didn't believe this Messiah, he became injurious, he became a blasphemer, calling that Messiah names and also. And he was fighting against God by killing the Christians, you see. That is the worst sin, worse than the adulterer, worse than the, if you're just to compare, somebody that hated God and the one that does not hate God but was just doing something bad that God didn't like, which one is worse, you see. So that's why Apostle Paul said he was the chiefest of the sinners by that persecution that he was doing against Christians. See, but God saved him by mercy. You see, God shows mercy unto him. Verse 16, I will be it for this cause. I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which will have to hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. He said, believe that God was you also using him as an example of how people may have to suffer for Christ. Because he suffered for Christ by preaching about and every place he went, the Jews that don't believe were ready to kill him. He has to run. Sometimes they got hold of him and beat him up. Sometimes they stone him. So that was what he meant when he said he, God was using him also as a pattern of long suffering for everyone that we follow Christ, that we believe Christ. Christ said that in this world we may have persecution and Apostle Paul demonstrated an example of that. Verse 17, now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. We praise our Lord. Verse 18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them might war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. So he said, I charging Timothy that according to the prophecy that was given to Timothy, maybe he, maybe Apostle Paul was the one that prophesied to him that he was going to be a minister of the gospel in other pastor or evangelist or so. And he said, according to that charge, if you is exhorting him to so that he can have something to fight this warfare. It's a warfare we are in. He said that our mindset war a good warfare. Many people don't realize that the Christian race is like a battle. And we are called as soldiers. And as soldiers, there's a war going on. And the enemy is the devil's satanic spirits. And sometimes they manifest in spirit, sometimes they manifest through human beings. When they persecute you, it's a warfare. You don't need to beat them back in physically. But if you use your physical or your spiritual power of prayer, you can push that one back. And then the satanic spirit can also attack people in the dreams, in the visions, and many ways they will try to do. Because the Bible says the thief, Satan is the thief. He comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. That's what the devil comes to do, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. So whatever way you will try to do that, 
If you couldn't get them through making them commit sin, trying to make them commit adultery, trying to make them lie, if you are protected in all those areas, you may get upset so much that you will rise up people to beat you up. Because it's a, it's a thief, it's, a, it's trying to steal your joy. The Bible said the thief coming to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Whatever way he's trying, even if he's clapping or praising you, he's planning how to kill. Even if Satan is beating drums for you, he's planning how to kill. That's why you have to don't give him any chance in your life. And Apostle Paul said that using every exhortation that he is giving to Timothy, he will be able to hold faith with a good conscience. He said some people have put away faith and they become shipwreck. Shipwreck means their ship has crashed. And he gave an example. He said, Of whom is Hymenus and Alexander? whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, I really, Alexander is talking about is this Alexander the Coppersmith. In the second Timothy, he mentioned that Alexander the Coppersmith did him much evil. Now, if we have to go back to the book of Acts of the Apostles, believe chapter 16, when the, in Ephesus, when the silversmiths and all those people that are making shrines and making these this, uh, statues for the idols, they saw that Apostle Paul's preaching the, the true God make people to begin to forsake the temple of Diana, the, the goddess of Diana. And they are no more making as much money as they used to make in selling all those their shrines and all those uh, silver, silver idols and the gold, copper idols and all those things that they use, that they make. And they're making money from those. So they raised up persecution against, against Apostle Paul. And said, and that was where Alexander the coppersmith came up. He was a Jew that was also in that trim, that type of a craft, that type of trading. And he realized he didn't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't believe what Paul was preaching, even though he was a Jew. And he, he purposely decided to go and persecute Paul. And he went to Paris, went to Rome to defend or to speak against Paul. And that was why Apostle Paul said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. He told, he told Timothy in 2 Timothy that should, Timothy should be, aware, should be aware of him also. Be careful now to make sure that you, you keep aware of yourself from Alexander the Compassion. He said he has strongly resisted our, our, our word. So that's why Apostle Paul is referred to in verse 20 when he said, Alexander and Amenos, they are people that have thrown away faith and they, they, are, they are in shipwreck, means that they are, they are not going anywhere. They have crashed spiritually and he said he has delivered them unto satan that they may learn not to blaspheme now when you say you deliver them unto satan you have to remember something we saints of god we have authority over satan we don't cast devils out into people we don't send say, devils to come and attack people but the apostle Paul is giving an example that we still have authority to tell satan to to deliver anyone that refused to follow god that satan will be the person up we can deliver them to satan like that that's what Apostle Paul is saying there. He said he delivered. These are unbelievers now. These are not tech believers. Alexander and uh, Amenos, there, there were people that blasphemed because they didn't want to believe what Paul was preaching and they went against. And Apostle Paul is saying he delivered them unto Satan. He said, well, they are already shielded of Satan. Will Satan do anything against them? He may not do anything against them, but say, many more sicknesses, many more diseases that Satan put upon people will just be, will just be their portion if they are not, if they are not following the Lord. See, that's really what delivering them to Satan will be when you do that. Some people try to use that 
terminology that they can deliver believers, Christians that are that have that have uh, violated their church philosophy, they will say they want to deliver that person to Satan. But you see, you have to remember any believer that is following the Lord, no matter what some church organization try to do, if you are following the Lord, you are not under any cause. If you are following the Lord faithfully, you are reporting to the Lord Jesus Christ. If some church organization that you are associated with try to say they will go to deliver you to some wrongly, they will be making a mistake. So you don't be afraid of that. This is mainly for unbelievers. Well, that Alexander the Copperman didn't believe. That's why he was blaspheming. And Apostle is delivered him and his friend unto Satan. So that they learn not to blaspheme. And that was the end of chapter 1. We're going to continue in chapter 2 in a moment. Now let's go on to chapter 2. And he said, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now that's how Apostle Paul is exhorting what we should be doing. Every believer, this is for every believer. Now even though this was written to Timothy, the Timothy is to pass it on to the body of Christ, to the church that he is pastoring. He said, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now, that shows that there are several types of prayers. There is a prayer that is called supplication. What is supplication? You more or less like pleading, pleading, begging as supplication. Prayers is a regular one. If you praise God, it's a form of prayer too. When you are just singing, praise God, it's a form of prayer. When you are presenting your case and asking the Lord to bless, peace, that's also prayer. But supplication is uh, is a another form of prayer. Then you say intercession. Intercession is when you are really in, in, being a, you are presenting case of somebody else before God, and you are pleading for that somebody else before God. That's an interceding for the person. And that's a giving of thanks. That's another thing we should do. We say that you have to give thanks to the Lord for everything. You are thanking God for creating mankind, thanking God for giving us food, giving us sunshine. He said that giving of thanks should be done. For all men. He said made for all men. For verse 2 says, for kings. You may say, well, this king does not believe in Jesus Christ, but say pray for them. He said, for all that are in authority, all these rulers, senators, governors, believers should be praying for them. Why? This is a given reason that we, all, all of us, may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So he said, that's why we should be praying for all these rulers, so that if they are making good laws and good righteous judgment, then we all be at peace. Because the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, that, that when the wicked reign, the people mourn. See? But when the righteous are in authority, they will be rejoicing. So that's why we should pray for all these kings and rulers and governors, that they should be righteous and not be wicked and not be evil. If they are corrupt and they are embezzling money and the money that they should be using to make the city better, they are putting their own private money there, we know that that's evil. And that's going to be affecting the common man in the streets. Because there will be no job for the common man in the street when they should have been investing the money to make industries so that the common man can get food and substance. But the governors, the rulers are not doing that. Then that's why we need to pray for them that the Lord will turn their touch there so that they can do righteously. And then we all be living a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. But still, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. 
who will have all men to be saved. God wants every man to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. So that's why we need to pray for them. God wants everybody to be saved. Even the one that you see is wicked now. Even the one that we think is wicked right now. The rulers of your country, the rulers of your city may be wicked. But if you keep praying for them, God can reach them and they will be turned. And if they are turned and become doing righteously, then the Bible said, we all live in peace. And God wants everybody to be saved. If they will, if they will come. We know that it's not everybody that will be saved, but he wants everybody. God wills that all men be saved. Verse 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Now, I'm going to stop right here and continue this in the next broadcast. And I pray that the Lord will give you the insight and understanding of what you have just said. God bless you.